Good day, my Telos podcast friends. What if there were decentralized exchanges that all shared one liquidity pool, and then you had tokens like Bitcoin or Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash, and you were able to move those to faster networks like Ethereum, Telos, EOS, or Stellar, and this all happened in a shared liquidity pool on decentralized exchanges, and then you could add in foreign currencies and exchange between those digitized currencies. Well, if you are a fan of Polkadot or Cosmos or Ion, this is something you want to break out of the box and check into the Transledger and where they're at because it looks like currently they may be first to market with a working product and there's some real breakthroughs here for the entire crypto community. So uh, dig in and have fun with this episode. As always, this is sponsored by Hybrid.Games, our amazing sound engineer Scott, check out his project, and Crown.Club, which is a DAC community building some really awesome projects and communities. So check out both of those. Without further ado, I bring to you Didye from Transledger. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. The Talos Podcast. You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to the show, Didier. How are you doing today? Good, good, and you? Good, thank you, thank you. So what's the most interesting thing going on in Telos for you right now? Uh, quite a lot, quite a lot of things. Uh, at first, we started with different blockchains um, two years ago to do an inter-blockchain solution. And at first we started to move Bitcoin to Ethereum and this is how it all started. Uh, since, since that time, we made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Uh, in fact, doing what the other guys tried to do at first, uh, like uh, Polkadot or Cosmos, uh, and soon discovered that it's not a way to go. Mm-hmm. And so we changed our system and now we came out, I mean, when I say now, that was about a year ago, uh, we came out with a new, a new structure, a new architecture, which is more a dedicated network for inter-blockchain communication. So completely, completely a new breed of, of network. And uh, so it seems to be working now uh, a lot more better than it was before. Uh, so basically the way it works, uh, we have on the one hand, we have the source network and on the other hand, we have the destination network. Mm-hmm. In the middle sits the, um, the inter-blockchain network, basically having a point of connection to the source network and a point of connection to the destination network. And it all starts, the old process, starts with a transfer request. So people feel the transfer request saying, I want to send that much or that amount of cryptocurrencies from that source network to that destination network. For example, from Bitcoin to, to EOS or one of the EOS IO chains, for example. And then after they filled that form, they are presented with a QR code and an address where they should do a transfer. This is the reserve. So basically they do a transfer from their account to a reserve. And then we have on the inter-blockchain network, several agents. One of them 
is checking uh, if the transaction is finalized. In the case of Bitcoin, it will take at least three to six confirmation before we can say it is finally confirmed. So as soon as we have the final confirmation, then in that case, we have the other agent, which is the uh, transaction engine, which is triggered in that case and move or transfer, not move, but transfer uh, the, the same amount from the reserve on the destination network to the user's account. And that's it. The, the, the operation is completed. And we have a network of auditors connected to the inter-blockchain node, I mean the inter-blockchain network, which, which we call the internodes. And these guys are checking the balance in the source network and the balance in the destination network, and it should match. So the amount which is added to the resource, to the reserve, sorry, in the source network should be equal to the amount which is withdrawn from the destination network. If the amounts are different, then something happened. Most likely a bug or, I don't know, malfunction of the system. Why I say that instead of a hacker? Mm -hmm. uh, first, all the, all the transfer requests are signed using the very same technology as the blockchain are using to identify not only a transaction, but to be sure that the transaction is not modified between the node, uh, between the nodes in plural and the user. So everybody, all the nodes on the blockchain can check that this transaction is valid because it's signed. So nobody can modify it down the road. So all our transfer requests are signed, so it cannot be modified. And the transaction engine itself, doing the transaction on the destination network is separated from that network through what we call a file gap. So it's not as good as an air gap, which is the best solution in that case, but pretty close because it's not a direct link, you know, going through a file on either side. And even though the transaction engine being in a completely separate network, redo the verification, recheck again the transfer request before performing the transaction. So it means that again, if that, I don't know, a hacker could crack the, the file system or could crack the, the file, uh, in that case, it, won't be, it will be different. The signature will be the, won't be the same, and that's it. It means that we didn't get the same transaction, and then it is refused, simply. And also the case is that the guy doing so will need to pay at first. So they're gonna lose their money. So there is no point to do so, except pay a small amount and then modify the document to get a bigger amount on the other side. But even though, because it is verified and with a signed transaction, very hard to change. So this is for security. And what we do right now on us is that we're working with a couple of other guys like JC and Justin to, to implement that on Telus. 
the idea, the idea, the final solution we want to put in place in Telas is a pure peer-to-peer -peer network, meaning by that the settlement will happen on-chain. Mm -hmm. All the orders will be off-chain because it's in the same spirit as the Zero X project that you have on, on Ethereum. Uh, but it is on EOSIO technologies, so it could work on any IS, EOSIO network. And so the, all the orders are off-chain. Uh, what we are doing on phase one is a DEX using the move token to allow the traders to trade high-value tokens on Telos. What I mean by that, it means that peer-to-peer, -peer, they can trade Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Ethereum, Stellar, Ripple, EOS. All of these guys represent 80% of the total market cap. So 80% of the total money involved in the blockchains. So they could trade that, which is actually impossible to do on the DEX because the DEXs are restricted to tokens existing on the host blockchain, but not the other ones from the other blockchains. So by having the move token technology, we can move them to tell us and allow the traders to trade them and they can be redeemed back to their original network. So let's say I have on one hand, Bob, and Alice, you know, the two, the two guys mm -hmm. we're used to. So Bob moves one Bitcoin to Telos. Trade it, let's say, to keep things simple, trade half the Bitcoin for a Litecoin or a certain amount of Litecoins with Alice. So they do their trade. Now Alice has half a Bitcoin. But this is a proxy Bitcoin on Telos because that was a Bitcoin that we move in the Telus network. Now Alice, she wants to get the full value of that Bitcoin. The only network where you have this full value is on Bitcoin network and yeah, not, not everywhere else. So she can remove or she can redeem it back to the Bitcoin network, this half Bitcoin for a Bitcoin without any counterparty. So that's why we're using reserves instead of using the atomic swap. The problem with atomic swap, you don't have the problem to protect the reserve, but you have the other problem that if you want to move something, you always need a third party. You always need a counterparty that is ready to mix with you in the same. So let's say if I had an atomic swap and Alice wanted to move back the, the Bitcoin to, to the Bitcoin network, then she would need to have somebody on the other side to perform the swap. And in that case, either a human is doing that or, or having a reserve to do so, because if it's a market maker, and again, we fall back to the reserve problem. So the best thing is to have a more secure system and be more to move back and forth using reserves. So the end goal is to have a distributed exchange and allowing high value crypto 
plus fiat, which is actually not done on DEXs. Well, how do we do that? Uh, there are actually three, four, no more than that, I think four or five, and I don't count on that, uh, the, uh, you know, the well-known USD, which is supposed to be a stable coin, but, you know, so. But on that, we have Paxos, Trust USD, USD coin. These guys, they have a gateway where you can convert a USD into its digitized version and vice versa. Take a digitized version of the USD and get a fiat version of it. But the problem we have is that all these digitized USDs are existing on Ethereum. So being able to move them to tell us, it means that now people can trade crypto fiat and having a gateway to get it back in fiat without a secondary exchange. That's fantastic. <clears throat> so that's the idea of the move token and how we implement the DEX. That's the, I mean, that's quite a project. So you mentioned that um, like Cosmos and Polkadot approached this and you initially approached it and you made some big mistakes. What were the, what were kind of the biggest mistakes that you made that got you to where you are? Okay. We started to think of having a blockchain sitting in the middle of the other two blockchains. However, we discovered very soon that it doesn't really resolve the problem. Why? Because at each end, imagine three circles. Mm -hmm. Circle in the middle being the blockchain, and you have the other two blockchains on, the, on each side. You need to have only a single point of contact with these guys, especially on the destination network. Because if you have more than one point doing the same transaction at the same time, it's double pay or multiple pay in that case. Mm -hmm. So you need only one and that transaction has to be signed. Otherwise, all the other nodes, they will refuse it. So it means that you have only a single point of contact between that. So in fact, the, the blockchain in the middle is totally worthless, totally worthless. If you want to move from A to B, if you want to move, if you have a blockchain and you want to move in and out from your blockchain to other guy, it's a different story. But uh, having a solution involving this middleware or this blockchain as a middleware uh, doesn't really bring any value. Even more than that, it needs the support of external software or add-on on it. Doesn't improve the security. Because if I have this single node hacked on this schema, that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the bank is gone. So how will they improve? They never said how they will improve the security of that single point of failure, of this single possible point of failure. So basically, at first we were thinking like them because we were more on the theoretical level. As soon as we started to implement it, we discovered all these issues, security, single pull and failure, uh, 
point of contact, the need to be signed because otherwise it won't be processed by the blockchain. And then we discovered that it was an overkill. We didn't need, the only thing that we needed on the blockchain, the intermediary blockchain, was the history, uh, the historical data of all the transactions in the order. Even though it has to be strictly ordered if we want to get a good history, because otherwise if it's like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, they don't really take the real order because when you submit the transaction, the miners, they'll pick the transaction that pays the most. So it's not really a strict order. It's not exactly like it came in. So you see different issues that we discovered and, and this is why we have real working code and they have real words <laughs> and no working code. <clears throat> so, you know, it's code against words. What, uh, what are you seeing this used for most commonly? What's the most uh, likely use case for someone? I would say several. Uh, one we discovered very recently with the Vigor group. Uh, we're actually working also with the, the Vigor group. And their need is to be able to have uh, the capacity to, to have uh, as a warranty or a custody of blockchain, bitcoins or Ethereum, you know, high valued cryptos like that in order to um, sustain the value of the vigor. Uh, a little bit like the DAO, basically MakerDAO is doing, but this time on EOSIO. Uh, by having the capacity to move these, these coins to the blockchain, then it has full transparency. So if the have a, uh, a Bitcoin, a proxy Bitcoin or whatever on that. Everybody can see it, you know, with the explorer. And, and if they want to add loans, for example, on it, then that could be redeemed back to Bitcoin and traded and so forth and so on and so forth. So that's one of uh, the use case. This, the other one being obviously uh, an exchange, a DEX to provide basically a distributed platform, fast and low cost. So if we have no transaction cost, and if it is fast enough, the only cost that will be added is the, the exchange cost, basically, but you don't have any cost added to that. If we take, for example, Ethereum in that case, all the DEXs, they have two, two different costs. They have the transaction cost, plus the, the exchange cost. Uh, so basically it's to be able to have a, a good platform, what we call a trading platform. Uh, the other use case also that we discovered uh, is if we need to stake it. So for example, uh, we are pretty soon ready to launch our own token. And the move token, as well as the exchange, has a fee. But people having the TLDs, our token, they will have a rebate. The more they have at stake, the more they have a rebate. And they can buy these TLDs with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and all these guys. And, or they could stake 
these tokens also as a as a way to have a reduction on uh, their cost. So this is another usage. Maybe there are some others that I don't know, but these are. Can you talk a little bit more about the uh, the move token and it's, it's called TLD token? Yes, uh, it's it's a utility token. However, it will be perceived as a security by the financial authorities, <laughs> either Canadian or, or American. Uh, so uh, it will be emitted through Reg A plus in the U.S. and 45, 108, 106 in Canada. So Reg Reg D and Reg A plus. Uh, and the goal for that token is that if people buy it and stake it in our own system, then they have a rebate. So we are providing rebates, a kind of reward, if they hold these tokens, we reward them by providing a service, which is the trading and the move token. Mm -hmm. The more they have, the bigger the discount. If they have a lot, it, all the services are free. Mm -hmm. uh, we think it could increase the value of the token because it has a real usage. Uh, and uh, that also includes, oh, oh sorry, I, I forgot also another use case, games. Mm -hmm. Games wanting to be paid in Bitcoin or Litecoin or, you know, all these tokens. In that case, they can use the move token and, and locally process this token instead of having to support all these blockchains because there is a, a cost to that. In our case, we have to support at least 10 different blockchains. So there's a cost. You know, you have to keep 10 nodes and backups and everything. So you know, it can become quite expensive in manpower. And, uh, so the TLD will be used mainly to provide uh, rebate to all the services we provide. And since it's really related to a service or a set of services, then in that case, the benefit is clear, you know, getting capacity to trade or capacity to use in games or whatever. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned the, all the nodes that you run. Do you, do, do you run those all intern internally or how's the, uh, you mentioned you had auditors and, uh, and that are running nodes. Are those kind of like block producers or, or and how, how are those chosen or who are the auditors? Yes, uh, actually working with uh, some block producers on that, uh, we produced a, a, an open uh, source version of the auditor that everybody can download either as or install it as a Docker or, you know, on bare metal. And uh, everybody can check the network basically. So. Uh, we are in the process with some block producers and tell us that they will install these uh, these auditors and then they will provide a vote and we have actually two different type of message and we're adding a third one because <laughs> two wasn't working already so uh, it says basically if the transaction is okay so transaction is performed from source to destination and the balance is right on both sides. So then these auditors 
they broadcast on the network a message saying, okay, transaction with that transaction ID is okay. So that's a yay. If the transaction is not a, is completed, but not okay, then it, they broadcast an A. And you'll, saw that, you'll see that later on in the demo, people have access to that, they can see it too. Uh, everybody can see the result of these votes. And we discovered that a lot of transfer requests were not really completed, either because the person doesn't understand it or whatever. But so, so we added a third message, or I mean a second message, but with a different option, saying uh, not resolved. Mm -hmm. So it means that it's not completed, it's simply up in the air. And uh, every dashboard, every user's dashboard, uh, have this monitoring system where they have access to all the transfer requests and the votes. And the more auditors we have, the bigger the votes. So the number of votes are simply the number of auditors. So yes. Yeah. And what's the, uh, what's the incentive for auditors? None, actually, it's a pure exchange of services, I would say. Okay. Uh, we, we, have other, we have a big bunch of different services. In fact, mm -hmm. We have a KYC service, full KYC service. We have a membership system, which is distributed, uh, which is totally different from what you know about all the different membership systems or user management. This one is really distributed. Uh, and not stored on chain because we think it's overkill or or the blockchains are not really good for that uh, It's another kind of network distributed network this time and we have also a uh, a Wallet which is actually like BitGo, So custodian but moving towards something in the middle uh, using the threshold signature so people will be able to sign it have a local version of their data or have their data uh, stored on a server. So it means that they could pay from any device, phone or, and, but still need to sign locally using a threshold signature. So we're moving toward that model. So actually it's, it's a, a model like BitGo, but we're moving to something like Zango, for example. Zango is doing the same kind of thing using the threshold signature. And what's the, uh, what's the KYC service that you offer? Full KYC, uh, people, the, um, they will register, provide information needed by the financial authorities. So actually it is okay with the European uh, uh, financial authorities. As you know, since January 10, it is now mandatory to provide the information to be first registered to the European authorities, and then also to provide reports for every transactions over 10K okay. per, per 24 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they require certain set of information like username, uh, physical address, uh, date of birth, and also some official papers, uh, documents like driver license or passport. So the numbers in that case, and a picture to be sure that the guy registered is really the guy who owns these papers. So we also have, uh, we're using the camera. 
uh, which is taking the picture of that person and we compare with the picture we have on the document uh, using uh, neural networks basically to do so. And uh, this comes with a, uh, a full report, AML, time money, money laundering mm -hmm. uh, reports for FinTrack, which is the financial authority in Canada, FinCEN, which is the one in uh, the USA, uh, Austrack for the Australian authorities, and uh, pretty soon for the European authorities too, through Estonia, because there's different formats. I mean, as you know, Europe is Europe. It's not all the same, always. So we're taking the Estonia format, which is valid for the entire European community. We thought at first we used the UK format, but as you know, now there's the Brexit, so they are separate mm -hmm. entity. Uh, so we'll have also to deal with the UK financial authority. So basically being able, so it's all set, you know, being able to onboard and also having the tools to provide uh, the financial reporting uh, for registered uh, corporation. We are actually registered in Canada mm -hmm. as a money service um, on the federal level and on provincial level to the AMF. Pretty soon we'll be registered also to FinCEN in the US as money transmitter. So we're licensed. Uh, mm -hmm. To, to do so. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I saw that you were a licensed money transmitter and, and that you also do one-to-one um, -one, uh, transfers for like the, the, the U.S. stable coins, the Canadian stable coins. Um, how long did that take to go through all that registration to actually become a, a money transfer? And it seems like that is a, like a, a giant part of the project that a lot of um, blockchain projects overlook. What was that? What was that process like? It's long. You yeah. have to be very patient. It may take. I would say the fastest route that we have up to now was six months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's really not a fast process. Could be. Could take longer than that, depending on the demand. The problem that will happen on several service providers, not on blockchains. I don't think blockchains will have any problem but service providers will have. You know why? Because they are an easy target. Mm -hmm. Most of the services are not really distributed. And you know why? Because they have a website. And this website is associated to a domain. That domain is associated to a person mm -hmm. so, or, or a legal entity. That legal entity is responsible for that service attached to this domain. Mm -hmm. So, all the off-chain code is really centralized. Hmm. What is decentralized, though, is the storage of the data. So, they won't, the financial authorities, they won't go after the blockchains because it's distributed all around the globe. <laughs> it's totally pointless. Mm -hmm. They can't, basically. Physically or or legally they can't. But the service providers, they are located in a certain country. And these guys are working on, in that specific country. So then they can go after that. Uh, last year in the USA in particular, uh, in last June, if I remember, August, they decided 
that they give up to one year for all the service providers to adapt to the new requirement that we have now based on the FATF organization. So it means that uh, basically we have until June 2020 to comply as a service provider. So after that date, I don't know what will happen, but any, any service provider located in the US, and even if the business is not located in the US, but if the guys responsible for it are living in the US, then these guys, they have full authority to go after them. And this already happened with one exchange already. Uh, after it was sold, which is... Wow. So this is, uh, this is an issue. This is a big issue for a lot of them. So that's why we, when we saw the trend and noticed that these financial authorities, they, they won't accept that there is financial transactions not regulated, then this is why we already came to get a license. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how they'll do that because as soon as a service provider gets a subpoena from these guys, from FinCEN, for example, the minimum fee or file fine that they will have to pay per day is 5000 per day yeah. until they comply. If it takes six months <laughs> to, to be registered, mm -hmm. unless they, they are cool and they provide a way, you know, like a fast track or something, people saying, okay, I'm repentant, now I will, I will, I will, I will register, and in that case, maybe. But it, it is something the service provider has to seriously think about. It's, uh, obviously, every, for the end users, they have also to know that it's like usual. Every transaction under 10,000K is never, never reported. Mm -hmm. The only requirement asked for the service providers is to keep all the data for five years. Mm -hmm. After that, the data can be destroyed. It means also that this authority, they cannot check everybody and mm -hmm. every uh, service provider. So usually they don't, mm -hmm. unless they have a target, unless mm -hmm. they have somebody they want to spot and check. Mm -hmm. In that case, they request the information. But we have to keep in mind that it is very, very expensive to do so. So they won't go after everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if people are making transaction under 10K, it's never, never reported. Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, not, it's not such a big deal, but I know all the arguments being anonymous and you know, the old debate. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, if people are really uh, interested in being anonymous, there's still ways to do it. And, and you just have to stay out of the, uh, you know, the main, the main, you know, the main parts of the crypto community. So um, 
I think it's good to have both. I mean, obviously we need both for some sort of mainstream adoption. You need the ability to uh, trade and, and do things above board. And then some people want the ability to stay anonymous and they, they need to find, they can find a way to do that. There's, there's always a way to do that. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what was the, uh, what was the decision to come to Telos like, or to support the, to support the Telos chain? Oh, uh, because, uh, the way we see it, we see each network as a community. It's not only hardware and software, but it's also a, a group of people. Uh, they all have different philosophy. They have different approaches, different discourse. So pretty soon we discovered that behind each blockchain you have a community of people. So now from the marketing point of view, I'll put my marketer hat now. Uh, it means for us, we have different market segments. So we identify all the different, and we're lucky because on the ASIO based technologies, we have several chains and they are all different, having different approaches like WAX is mainly games, horribly, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they want to be legal and QIC ML, uh, tell us a uh, different uh, governance system. Um, Ultra, the new kid in the block, uh, also for games. Uh, links uh, mainly for uh, the Asian community. Uh, so each one have a different flavor, mm -hmm. a different market and a different group of people. So we decided to be not only on EOS, uh, EOS and the main net, uh, not only for economical reason, because it's more and more expensive and more and more crowdy and everything, but also because of that, because of these different communities. And in fact, the move token and the DEXs will be hosted on every of these uh, networks. If obviously we don't have any barrier to do so. And the goal is to have these communities to have their own DEX, their own move token, and later on to link them together, to link the order books together to create a bigger liquidity and use the move token and the local uh, smart contracts to do the settlement. So even if it is on different blockchains, because we have this move token technology and we can move between EOSIO networks too, then we can do the settlement. And it means, for example, a guy on Wax, for example, could trade with somebody on another DEX on Talos. The and it is like really real estate. The guy listing, so the maker mm -hmm. or the DEX will get a fee, part of the fee, if it's not us, if it's another one. And the other guy on Wax will get the the taker will have the other part of the fee. And this guy is in fact, is doing the matching. And later on for when we will have a match, the settlement, the tools will be using the local smart contract on Bochstein and the move token. It will be kind of super set operator. And the final stage is that we link to zero X because we have a very, very close system in order to share liquidity with Ethereum. And again, because we can, move token with Ethereum, redo the same thing. So create bigger and bigger pools independently 
of the networks, independently of the local communities. Um, does it need to be a, a, a partnership of some sort with Zero X to make that happen? And, or is it something that you can do um, uh, without them uh, needing to partner with you? No, it's something we can do without them, but uh, we are more and more collaborating. Mm -hmm. uh, especially they have uh, the mesh network, which is very close to our internode network. Uh, so their technology and our technology, I mean, their smart contracts and our smart contracts are very similar, very, very similar. In fact, we re remade or we created a new version of the basic contract on the SIO, replicating the ERC20 on Ethereum. So we added the transfer from approve allowance functions. These are essential for DEX or for on-chain settlement. And we created an exchange contract, which is like the exchange contract on Ethereum, on Zerex. So it's very, very close. And uh, now we started to discuss and on the order format. They have their own order format on theirs and how we can virtualize it uh, on their side and our side in order that we can share all the order books, what they call the relays, what mm -hmm. we call the indexes. Uh, can share these orders. Uh, so this is where we're at actually, to virtualize this with them and how to connect with their mesh network on Ethereum and our uh, already inter-blockchain network because it will be all the EOSIO networks uh, to the Ethereum, which maybe one day will be shard, sharded Mm -hmm. uh, which will be in that case like EOSIO. So it will be a set of networks. So is that, um, is that what you see for DEXs down the road? Is, is uh, all of them, well, not all of them, but eventually lots of DEXs sharing liquidity like you're talking about and, and, and building out that way? Yes, yes. You know, we, when, when I, was, uh, I was studying for the CFA, uh, and I still need to pass my third exam. <laughs> and uh, suddenly I, I came with this insight that fiat money is on some points better than crypto, and I will explain right now what I mean by that. If I have bank A using an Oracle database, and I have, I have bank B using a blockchain, the dollar, the USD, is still a USD. In both cases, in bank A and bank B, it is still a dollar. Mm -hmm. However, cryptos are strictly attached to a specific technology. Bitcoin mm -hmm. attached to the Bitcoin network. Uh, EOS to EOS, I mean. So, we came, and this was also the original idea be, behind the inter-blockchain, in order that the value having a certain name is independent of any technology. So more, this is our work basically, to make it more independent of any technology so that we can evolve. If Bitcoin was really independent of any technology, then we would have uh, these energy hungry miners still working on that. It would be, you know, 
very different technology, maybe something like EOS, EOSIO, or even something different than EOSIO. So it means that actually the main problem of, of cryptos is that they stick to a certain technology, and I don't see how it could sustain for 50 years that way. If that was the case, we were still have horses and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it is strictly too associated to a certain technology that cannot evolve really, really well. So the other way is to make it virtual, being able to move it on any type of technology. So in that case, it becomes independent of that and it can evolve. So that's, uh, so that's the goal. And the same thing, you know, having DEXs limited to a single network is too narrow, mm -hmm. really, really too narrow. And being able only to be able to trade only the tokens created on that network is, only too, is also too, too narrow. Most of the DEXs today are stuck to trade penny tokens. Yeah, it is. It is. It is too narrow, um, and especially when you start thinking about um, some sort of a grander scale adoption, people don't want to have to go find a specific dex for the coin that they're using. Uh, they they want it to happen more fluidly. So, so big picture, that's definitely a direction uh, that needs to be going. So, you uh, we talked about Polkadot and Cosmos, who were uh, you know approaching a solution to this. Is there any other? Um, teams out there, I know Transledger, you, you've made some uh, big steps in this way. Are there any other teams out there thinking about the, the bigger picture of DEXs like this and how to connect them all? Not that I know. In fact, I invented an acronym because YAB, yet another blockchain bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, most of them are that. Mm -hmm. uh, every time I ask, okay, can I have a demo? Mm -hmm. No answers. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem I, I saw with guys like Pakadot, Aeon, and Cosmos, these three guys more mm -hmm. now than the others, is that they have given a lot of efforts on the blockchain itself. That's the time they could take to create the inter-blockchain itself. Mm -hmm. See? So Polkadot actually, for example, they were still working on their own blockchain, but not yet on the entire blockchain. Mm -hmm. And they have no answers about how you're gonna protect the reserve, how you're gonna protect the single point of and so on and so forth. Cosmos, again, they, they worked on the blockchain, on the Cosmos blockchain itself, Cosmos technology. Uh, so because of that, most on the other projects, most of them, they were still a white paper, words, no real code. Uh, however, some of them, like Edna, they created a software to do what they call the uh, transporter, uh, to move within the EOS IO technologies, like from Telus to Wordly, I think, in the, or EOS to Telus and Wordly. Uh, that was concrete and it worked. Uh, however, that type of solution cannot work with Bitcoin mm -hmm. or Litecoin. Works only on a homogeneous technology. So either ISO working solutions like Enda 
but on an homogeneous technology or yeah <laughs> bullshit like we often see in the blockchains or uh false start like cosmos or pakadot you know these guys they got 90 million mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah they, they can build their blockchain for the next 10 years <laughs> that, exactly yeah, that exactly. Runway, yeah. <clears throat> and if i were an investor in these companies i would ask how come I, five guys were able to do an Intel blockchain solution and you got 90 millions and you don't. Why? How is your team funded and how, um, and have you taken uh, any seed rounds or anything at this point or is it? Yes, uh, yes, very little though. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the money comes out of our own pocket. Mm -hmm. So roughly we, ourselves, we invested a little bit more than a million. Mm -hmm. No. And we got 500k uh, from external investors, so we have skin in the game. That's why we're so efficient and so productive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're skin in the game. Mm -hmm. um, so let's let's see a demo of of how this uh, works. If you if you'd like to do a screen share, so basically you can log in. This is as usual. However, I show you something. The internals. So, at the beginning of the process, as soon as you logged in, we create on the spot a key based on different parameters and based on stuff received from the server. Even with the HTTPS, any transactions moving back and forth are signed and encrypted two times. Encrypted with the SSL, but internally also sign and encrypted within it with a different algorithm, totally different algorithm. Uh, this is why we do that because it's based, all the application is resident within the client station, within mm -hmm. the browser. And it can be in two different flavor. See that thing? That's the, uh, that's the version I have on the server. You can run it in the browser or you can install it on your desktop, either on a mobile tablet, for example, or on the desktop. If you select that option, you can simply install it on your server. Oh, okay, okay. So that way it's more convenient because if I need it later on, I don't have to go to the web, I just have to click on my desktop and that's mm -hmm. like another application. Mm -hmm. However, it is still connected to the backend. Okay. Everything okay. is still the same. How, but it is caching a lot of stuff internally, so it's a lot faster. Okay. A lot of screens are already cached and code and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, the application is made on Angular, so it's running in mostly on the client side. It's not a, uh, a terminal <laughs> like the old uh, web application. So you no, know, the application is really running on the client and talking to a service in the back end. Mm -hmm. This is why we have this encryption system to talk to the service in the back end. So people can use our services even if they don't use our UI. Like for example, the move token. Uh, we see we have different things in that. You know, we keep a log of everything we fix or improve for the actual uh, testnet users. Everybody has this. 
a monitoring system. Uh, there is no move token, so all the transactions here are displayed. This is the result of the auditors. Mm -hmm. so it is connected to the internodes. And every time there is a new move token, uh, the auditors are making a vote. Actually, the big problem we are, because we are modifying it, is that if the transaction is not completed, it is treated as a negative one. Okay. So we add a third, ver a third section saying not completed. Okay, okay. And negative will be a real negative and positive mm -hmm. will be a real positive. Okay. And this is uh, getting, uh, we, there's all the servers involved in that, plus all the blockchains. <laughs> which is not counted in there. And mm -hmm. uh, saying if it's red or green, green, it's working. If it becomes red, we have a problem. Uh, so it's our own version of the Explorer and we'll add more and more stuff on it uh, mm -hmm. for users. So this is an inter-blockchain Explorer, if I can say so. This is our uh, BitGo-like wallet where you can't make payments, uh, receive payments. Uh, for the beta test, we create all the accounts automatically. So that way people didn't have to. And in some cases, we put some fundings. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, EOS, we, turn, we use the faucet to, to put some funds, uh, Bitcoin, uh, EOS. Uh, so, they all are created automatically with some funding already, so people can play with it right, right there, just mm -hmm. after registering and installing. This is like a usual accounting system. You know, you have all your accounts balances and you have all the, your transactions. Basically, you have no saying, I send a transaction, not yet on the mempool. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, recorded mean. Yes, it is now recorded on the main pool, but not yet finalized. And yes, mean now it's finalized and confirmed. Mm -hmm. So you have really it. And saying if it's a withdrawal or a deposit. And then something quite unique. Built on top of the membership system, which as I said, is distributed. Uh, what I mean by distributed is that when you add the new data, a new user, to one of the membership nodes, it is broadcasted to all the other membership nodes. So you can connect to send your data or get your data from one of these nodes, and it is replicated to all the other nodes. So that way, uh, if you kill one head, <laughs> mm -hmm. it still survives. So very hard to censor. Uh, that will be made available for some blockchains wanting to have a membership system, a more robust membership. But it adds also some value on that. So we have a directory of users. Could be quite a full, actually just a display, but later on with the search and everything you know, that will add on it. But you have uh, people who are public or people private. They don't want to give their name. Mm -hmm. uh, just their pseudonym mm -hmm. and that's it. And if their email is verified, if they are QIC verified, and uh, you have different actions on it, and the actions that you have, send a payment or send a message. Mm -hmm. Send message is not implemented yet, 
but that will allow members to communicate together. And send payment is quite useful in that case. Let's say I want to send some payment to Flint, for example. See, I have now to pick, I have the, uh, the email, uh-huh. and I only need to say, okay, I want to send you Bitcoins, I have my balance, and then I enter some amount, for example, mm-hmm. and then submit. The thing is, I don't have to remember a cryptic hash. Uh-huh. As you know, Bitcoin, they, they're <laughs> they have pretty good. The worst being stellar mm-hmm. oh, they stellar, you know they're huge mm-hmm. uh, i don't know but to remember all that is nearly impossible but in that case because of this membership stuff no problem you can send quite easily if you know obviously if you know their pseudonym or or any search criteria that will add to it. So that way, humans are very good to remember names. They're very bad to remember hash. Mm-hmm. Machines are very, very good to remember hashes, but they're very bad to remember names. So we try to combine both, you know, by having people search by names and let the machine attach a hash to that name. This is because of, of the big go like wallet that we can do that but we are working to also add this to the other new wallet which is uh, with the traceable signature your profile i won't see it this is my profile mm-hmm. uh, but this is basically your your file uh, and if your qyc it has everything yeah. the peer-to-peer exchange has two things the trade token is not yet included it is still separated until okay. on the test but the move token is already included move token can exist standalone that is existing standalone or embedded inside the dashboard but when it is embedded inside the dashboard you have a single login feature you don't need to re-log again. But mm-hmm. this is a totally separate application, basically running here in an iframe. Mm-hmm. And it talks to the, the host here and saying, okay, this guy's already logged. I'll pick that login. Think of that as a multi-account bank system. See, that's uh, like having your uh, saving accounts, expense account. In that case, you, these are all your personal accounts, but on different blockchains. Uh, your portfolio, basically. Mm-hmm. People, they have invested in Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever. They have a big bunch of different uh, tokens in different networks. So here are their public keys on these different networks. So they can make transactions based on that. And they can use that information to perform a move token. So we gamified a little bit the, um, the interface, which was previously a form, and now it'll be so many measures. Uh-huh. So if I want to move a Bitcoin, I will select the source network. Yeah. Select your source network, Bitcoin. Since there is only Bitcoin on the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. the token that, I will, that I'm moving is Bitcoin. But if I pick another one 
a multi-ledger. So this guy is a single ledger, single ledger, single ledger, mm -hmm. multiple ledger. Mm -hmm. so in that case, if I pick Ethereum, I have more choices. Mm -hmm. I can move a Paxos, which is a USD, can move a DCAD, can move uh, EOS, Taylor, whatever. I moved already. Uh, let's say I want to move uh, through USD or USD counter USD, and then I can move it to Telus. Since I have all my accounts already registered in the account, these things are filled for me. The only thing I have to do now is to say, I don't know, fifteen dollars or that, mm -hmm. and then submit it. This is the transfer request form sent to the internodes. One. <laughs> I don't know how many how much I have, so I'll take only one. Submit. And then here it is. See? If I have an external wallet, I use the QR code mm -hmm. to, to transmit the amount to be sent. Or if I'm using the the internal wallet, the only thing I have to do is this. Copy. It's copied to the keyboard, clipboard. Mm -hmm. This guy, the wallet, has a capacity to read what the other guys format, and it's already filled for me. Because this guy is able to read the clipboard, spot that there is this specific encrypted and signed format that the move token has. By the way, it is still on beta test. What's um, what's your timeline on this up and up onto a test net or to a, a version for the public? I guess it's on testing now. When's the version of the public coming out? Yeah, we hope in a month or a month and a half. So I would say that the next two weeks will be quite intensive on bug resolution. We have uh, uh, roughly 20 open bugs to be resolved. What, so what do you see down the road for for a company like Transledger, let's say 10 years down the road, if if things keep playing out and DEXs are able to come together and uh, share liquidity pools. What do, you, what do you see the user interface and the biggest use case being about 10 years from now? We hope that in 10 years from now, e-commerce will be using that. Mm. Uh, I agree totally with, uh, with the official EOS discourse, I mean Daniel's discourse, that it has to be very low cost. In fact, cheaper than uh, Visa or MasterCard. I mean, the transaction fees has to be, they have to be cheaper than Visa or MasterCard. It has to be as fast as Visa uh, or MasterCard, or even faster. If it is cheaper, as fast or faster, then there is an incentive for merchant to move to it. Mm -hmm. because it will increase their benefit margin, their margin. And uh, if you go to a merchant and tell them, uh, uh, we have a way to increase by 2% your margin, they will be very open to mm -hmm. the idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if it's fully compliant and everything, it's even better because the merchant will be more trusted because the problem we have, Crypto has a very bad reputation mm -hmm. created by, I don't know, but maybe by banks, <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. it is there. And so merchants, if they are sure that uh, people, they are registered, legal and everything, 
and also that they can increase their margin, they will open. So I guess in 10 years from now, if we can reach merchant, then it will be really useful. The, the big problem actually with cryptos is that they are mainly used as a speculation tool, mm -hmm. not really useful for every day. As soon as I can go to my grocery store or buy something uh, with my phone on the QR code or whatever, and the merchant incentivized to to accept it because they make more money, and all the the, the web or or point of sale software using it, that will be the goal. Because yeah. at that time it will be mainstream, really. Mm -hmm. But until we reach that stage, it will be reserved to traders and investors, mm -hmm. and mostly as a speculative tool. Yeah, and so you see that uh, that two percent increase in, in profits basically coming from not having to pay all the processing fees for your current point of sale services. That part, and also, I mean, the benefit taken by uh, by the banks, the benefit taken by the operators operating on top of the banks. So there there are a lot of intermediaries. So it is simply a process of disintermediation. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you do so, you reduce the cost. The older thing also we would like to see in 10 years, but most likely sooner than that. You know, actually the exchange rate is decided by a market involving only big financial institution and banks. Mm -hmm. Nobody except these big guys have access to this peer-to-peer -peer network because it is a peer-to-peer -peer network basically. It's not, it's not a, an exchange per se. Mm -hmm. The market makers, they can connect to that by aggregating uh, a big bunch of funds. But the problem is that the basic exchange rate is not decided by the guys using the money decided by speculators, banks. Mm -hmm. If we have digitized different currencies on blockchains, then it is now and also having reserve mechanism in each country, mainly a bank account at the moment, and maybe for a certain time. In that case, importers and exporters, they can decide themselves what the exchange rate is. If you have, for example, a digitized Australian dollar and a digitized American dollar, then an importer wants to import a merino wool, for example, they will say, I need Australian dollar to do that. So I would need to buy Australian dollar to pay my provider in Australia. So they will need to buy Australian dollar. Instead of buying that to a bank, they can buy it from somebody in Australia. Mm -hmm. so that's somebody and this important. They can decide through a free market what the exchange rate is. That would be very different than banks deciding what the exchange rate is. So our goal is also at the same time as we provide all these tools and improving them to digitize different currencies. So we're actually doing that for the Canadian dollar working with partners to do that with the Australian dollar and the UK, the pound, 
and the euro. And basically with the very same process as Paxos or TrustUSD, a gateway where you can you know, convert fiat to crypto, crypto to fiat. It's not really an exchange, it's one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. Bring $1, you get $1 digitized currency. And you bring $1 digitized currency, you get $1 in fiat. So it's a gateway basically. Uh, so using existing ones, trying to reduce as much the bank account to bank account transfer, actually very expensive. Uh, because it's based like trust, uh, trust USD or Paxos, they're using wire transfer. In our case, we want to use uh, ECH. You mm -hmm. know, a huge difference in cost. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, using e-transfer, fast transfer in Australia. So having the very, I mean, try to reduce the cost as much as possible. So in 10 years, to resume, I mean, to conclude, uh, having a peer-to-peer -peer forex market and having a real e-commerce solution where merchants can improve their margins. Well, that is a wonderful thing to work towards. And this has been um, really eye-opening. I, I didn't know, uh, I recently started doing research on Transledger, but I didn't know how far along you were and how, how big the project was. So this has been really cool and I'm happy to be able to introduce it to the Telos community and hopefully get the Telos community and some of the ETH community and you know everyone working together. So um, yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing, Didier. That was my pleasure, Brendan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is a good note to end the show on, um, but why don't you give any links or anywhere that you'd like people to uh, look, at, look at Transledger or, or find you on the interwebs? Yes, they can go to our website on transledger.io. Mm -hmm. uh, they can register and be part of the beta test. And we have also a uh, Telegram channel. Uh, we're very, very transparent. Uh, never hide, you know. We, if we have a bug, we say we have a bug and we work to resolve it. And people, we accept comments, we discuss, take ideas. Sometimes we find very good ideas coming from people. And we, we implement them. Uh, so it's it's very open. It's a participative process with users. So best route would be to go to our website and then from there you can have a link to our channel. You can register also to uh, the beta test and use it, simply to use it. Uh, and that's it. That's and if when people ask, you know, what is the difference between you and Cosmos or Parkadot, I usually answer the very same answer. Uh, try it and ask the Parkadot and and Cosmos, how can I try it? And mm -hmm. what's the response? <laughs> there you go. Go and see for yourself. Um, well, fantastic. Thank you for your time today, Didier. And my Telos podcast friends, that is the show for today. Have a good day. Farewell. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is.